Hello, and welcome to the Heaven Bound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and we are opening the Bible in search of fuel for your spiritual journey. This is where we talk about life, the way it was meant to be, and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. Wherever you are, thanks for joining us on the journey today. We're glad to have each of you with us today. And this month, the month of July, we have been talking about the book of Jonah, Jonah in July. And we come to our last episode in this little series in the fourth chapter of the book of Jonah. We started off by talking about lessons from the boat. That was chapter one. Then chapter two was lessons from the belly. When Jonah was inside a great fish, God prepared. And then we talked about lessons from the city when Jonah finally went to Nineveh and preached. And so we come to the final chapter. We're going to call it Lessons from the Hillside, where Jonah sits opposite the city of Nineveh and just watches. And there's lots of things that take place. You know, oftentimes when we read the book of Jonah, we're just kind of done by this part. But God has given us this fourth chapter, and it's just packed full of little lessons and emotions and things we need to see. And so we encourage you, if you're able to right now, to get your Bible out, turn with us to Jonah chapter 4, and let's just kind of walk walk through and look at some things together. To begin with, Jason's going to read us this chapter. It's kind of a short chapter. I'm going to tell you a little bit about some textual things I see in this chapter, and then we got two or three lessons we want to pull out here for you today. Yeah, the very end of Jonah chapter 3 tells us when God saw what they did, speaking of the repentance of Nineveh, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, it pleased Jonah exceedingly, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. 
And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? The book ends with that question, Roger. Absolutely. In fact, God speaks more in this chapter than he does the entire book. Uh, Just a few things we notice here. We notice as the chapter begins, Jonah says he's greatly displeased and is angry. But just a few verses later in verse 6, he's extremely happy. We we see just the up and down emotions with Jonah. And that, that has been kind of what we found throughout this book. Chapter 1, he was not happy with God telling him to go to Nineveh. And chapter 2, he wasn't happy by being thrown into the sea and being swallowed by a great fish. Chapter 3, he's not happy with going to Nineveh. And now he's not happy because Nineveh is actually going to listen to his lesson and God's going to forgive them. Uh, we also notice in this chapter, God asked Jonah three questions. Two times he asked him, do you have a good reason to be angry? He says that in verse 4, and again verse 9, and then in verse 10, should I not have compassion on Nineveh? Uh, God's wanting Jonah to really see this. Another thing we just notice is just kind of a textual concept here is two times in this chapter, verse 3 and verse 8, Jonah wishes he was dead. Uh, that, that just shows you how down in the dumps he was and displeased he was. Uh, we see the activity of God in this chapter. God made this plant come up overnight. Then God made this special worm that ate that plant. And then God made this scorching east wind. All that is, is not just nature, but God doing those things to teach Jonah a lesson here. Uh, in this chapter, we find the second prayer of Jonah. Uh, he prays, and he just is not a happy person at this time as we see this. And so in in this chapter, we, we see that Jonah has moved outside the city. His preaching is done, and he's just sitting and watching what's taking place. Why, Jason, what do you think he's looking for? Yeah, well, I mean, it has anger written all over it, the entire chapter, right? Uh, verse 1 tells us he's angry. Um, God asks him if he has good reason to be angry. Jonah is just an angry man, and we get the clearest indication in his own words as to why, not just he's angry, but why he had run all the way back in chapter one. And fascinatingly, ironically, it is because of what he knows of the nature of God, right? We hear that in uh, verse three. Uh, It is uh, an echo of how God introduces himself to Moses all the way back in Exodus 34. I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. What Jonah is looking for is it sure does seem to me hoping against hope for is that disaster would fall on Nineveh, right? He knows these people are 
a potential very real threat to Israel. He knows that their power is rising and that Israel over to the West could very much be a target, a desirable target for the Assyrians. He just wants God to wipe them out. And now he's kind of taken a front row seat. We remember his message, 40 days, right? And this is going to fall on Nineveh. And when it doesn't look like these Ninevites get what, in Jonah's mind, they deserve, it makes him really hot. Yeah, you know, we we remember that Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. So we're talking about the mighty Assyrians. They were a pagan country. They were idolaters. And so the very fact that God sent one of his people, one of his prophets to his foreign country is very unique in the Bible. That doesn't happen very often. And Jonah might be thinking, why me? You know, and uh, archaeology and history has talked about how cruel and wicked the people of Assyria were. Later on, they're going to bring down uh, the nation of Israel, a powerful nation. But, but Jonah, you know, put it in our times today, Jonah is a preacher who writes a sermon that he hopes nobody will obey. <laughs> and you think, why, why do that? But he, he, he finally has to do what God says because he's already been through a fish one time and who knows what will happen a second time. So he goes ahead and preaches it, but he really hopes nothing will come of it. Now, here in verse 2, Jason, when he says, I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. Uh, where do you think Jonah got that from? I, mean, I know. I mean, how did he know that? Yeah, well, I, I mentioned briefly, and it is one of the most repeated, if not the most repeated string of words in all of the Old Testament. Um, Exodus 34, when God appears to Moses, and Moses is uh, trying to wrap his mind around how there's going to be anything good that comes from God using Israel, Moses asks him, show me your glory. And as the Lord passes by in Exodus 34, um, he proclaims, verse 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. How did Jonah know that? Well, it was written in his law, in in the law of Moses that he had grown up with, But Jonah also knows this from Israel's own history, right? And maybe this is the most tragically ironic aspect of this whole thing. This is probably a lot like what Jesus is talking about. There's a speck in my brother's eye, but there's a log in my own eye. Jonah can clearly see why Assyria deserves to be punished. But maybe very conveniently or easily overlooking how patient and gracious God had been to his own people. And that is a pitfall 
a blind spot that continues even today, right? We, even as disciples of Jesus, maybe have majors in, well, this is why that person deserves the punishment of God. This is why this person deserves eternity separated separated away from God. But my own sin or our own sins, well, you know, there's there's probably a good reason for those things, and God really isn't going to to major in that. It it's an age old human problem, and, and it seems to pass the mind of Jonah as it does. We we'll talk about another person in the New Testament, and it does today that God gave Jonah a second chance. Yeah, uh, very easily. God could have just kept Jonah inside that fish and said, "That's it. You know, he's going to he's going to consume you, and you're going to die in that fish, and no one will ever know what happened to you. I'll get another prophet who who will do what I want to be done." But God gave him a second chance. Yeah. Yet Jonah can't give someone else a second chance. And and in the New Testament, Jesus in Matthew 18 talks about a man who owed 10,000 talents to his master. And he fell down and said, be patient with me. I'll repay you everything. And the master had compassion and forgave him. That very man who's given a second chance turned around and found somebody who owed him just very little. And he beat that man and put him in prison. A man given a second chance can't give it to someone else. And, and and I think that's one of the great reasons this chapter is in here, because it's a mirror for us, because we have been given a second chance, but how sometimes we will not give someone else a second chance. And I, I can't help but think how powerful this statement is in verse 10, when Jonah says in the verse before, you know, I'm angry even to the point of death. God said, you had no compassion on the plant for which you did not work and you did not cause to grow, which came up, up overnight and perished overnight. You care more for a plant than people. And again, sometimes for us, I care more about my car than a human being. I care more about my job than a human being. I care more about my, you see, so the, the lessons of Jonah 4 are strong for us today. And, and we need to see how valuable that is for us. Jason, in that very last verse, verse 11 of Jonah 4, and then let's get some more application here. Yeah. But, but he says in there that this statement that there is more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference from the right hand and left hand. What, what's that supposed to mean? You know, we can speculate in a a wide variety of directions, and maybe maybe you'll have an even better answer than mine. But I, as I think about that, it is a way of reminding Jonah: these people do not know what you and your forefathers know. The Apostle Paul would describe Israel as having been entrusted with the oracles of God. Think about what Jonah and his people knew about Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth that these people in Nineveh had no idea about. 
Jesus makes the same point, right? That if the miracles done in Capernaum had been done in Tyre and Sidon, <laughs> there, there would be a very different reaction. And how sad that is that a, a miracle is done for a Gentile woman and her, her dead son in the days of Elijah. But when miracles are done in the heart of Israel, there are hard hearts that just refuse to see. And so it is a reminder that just because we have intellectual awareness of what God has done doesn't mean that our hearts are receptive. Sometimes the most humble, receptive hearts are the people who don't know all of the trivia and all of the facts and all of the history, but they have a hunger for God because they recognize their desperate need. And, and and what a contrast between verse 10 and 11. Jonah was complaining because of one plant, <laughs> and God was looking at more than 120,000 people made in his image. Yeah. That plant's not made in the image of God. And, and again, it, it was just a perspective that God needed Jonah to kind of look at and you know, sometimes we we say things in anger, we say things without thinking, and when you really put a test to those words, do you really have you really thought out what you just said? Yeah. And that's kind of what God's trying to do there with Jonah. You know, Jonah is angry about the plant because the plant benefited Jonah. It was all about Jonah, I think, is what you're seeing. The plant provided shade, and Jonah liked shade. And when Jonah didn't have the shade, he got angry. Never mind the fact that 120,000 souls have been given more time to learn more about their creator. Yeah, and, you know, God never told Jonah, once you're done preaching, I want you to sit on the hill and watch this. Yeah. Um, his job was done. He could have gone back home. Um, it, it, it strikes me because I've been in some hot places before. I, I've been in some places where the temperature is well over 100, and I don't want to stay outside. You know, I mean, <laughs> why are you staying out there, Jonah? Just go home. And But he, he just has in his heart that he really would like to see the city burn. Um, but it's not going to happen because the people repented. It makes me think of a contrast with Abram, right? Abraham, how God comes and he tells Abraham what's about to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham immediately goes into intercession mode, right? Well, what if there are 50 righteous people or 40 or 30 and they get all the way down to 10, right? What if there are 10 righteous people in that city and God says, I, I won't do it. Whereas Jonah is, it's like he's rooting for Sodom and Gomorrah to happen right there in front of him. And it just really shows you the darkness uh, of a self-centered heart. Yeah, and, you know, we, we put this where, where it's at. Uh, Jonah was a prophet. Uh, sometimes prophets, sometimes preachers, sometimes shepherds. We don't have the right attitudes. Yeah. And sometimes uh, we need to take a long look at what we're doing and why we're doing it. And so so I think one, one of the obvious lessons we get from chapter 4 is that anger does not put us in a good place. Uh, the book of James says uh, it does not achieve the righteousness of God. Uh, anger will make us say things we shouldn't say. It'll make us think things we shouldn't think. And, and it just puts a dark, 
paint over everything. And that's, that's one of the first lessons I see out of this is that uh, Jonah was just an angry, angry person, unhappy with God, unhappy with Nineveh, unhappy with himself. And he, he comes across as just a pouting prophet to me. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what's another lesson you see? Well, Jesus, interestingly, anytime Jesus looks back on the Old Testament and references something, we really ought to perk up and pay attention. And the last thing after this four-week series that stands out to me are his words in Matthew chapter 12, when he is coming up against some more hard hearts. How many miracles, mighty works, wonders, signs have been done by the time we get to the end of Matthew chapter 12. And yet in verse 38, we've got scribes and Pharisees saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. There are lame people who can now walk. There are blind who can now see. There are literally dead people who are alive once again, which I believe is why Jesus says an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now that's interesting. And he, he doesn't leave it to us to speculate as to what it is. Verse 40, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, here's our Jonah chapter 4, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Roger, what do you think he means by that? Of course, he's talking about himself. Now, you know, there's a lot of parallels between Jesus and Jonah. Uh, they were both from Galilee. They both brought a message to lost people. Uh, they both offered their lives to save others. And, and in, in, in a lot of ways, they were both resurrected. Uh, uh, Jesus from the dead, Jonah yeah. from that fish. So there's a lot of similarities in those two. But then that's as far as it goes. Because now we become to some great differences. Jesus is greater than person. Uh, Jesus is God on earth. Jesus was sinless. Jesus was perfect. Uh, we're seeing right here in one chapter alone, Jonah's not that. Uh, Jonah has an attitude problem. Jonah has an anger issue. Jonah doesn't have the right spirit about the people of Nineveh. Uh, he, he did his message, but he didn't do it with the right heart. And so Jesus is greater than in person uh, than what Jonah was. I think we can also see that Jesus is greater in example. Um, you know, we wouldn't look at Jonah chapter 4 and tell our young people, this is who you need to be like. <laughs> yeah. uh, we look at Jonah 4 and says, don't be like this, okay? Um, you know, you, you, you can have the wrong attitude in worship. You know, the song leader wants to lead an extra song, and you'll hear some people sighing. Why? We're worshiping God. Or someone goes forward to be baptized on a Sunday, and that's just going to delay things a little bit. And, and, and you see people looking at their watches. Why are you doing that? Because this is a great thing. It's not about you. It's about the glory of God. Jonah forgot those things. But when we think about Jesus, he was the perfect example. We can say, I need to act like Jesus. I need to think like Jesus. I need to be like Jesus, because he was perfect in that. I, I think Jesus is greater in the scope of, of the 
the people he reads. Jonah was to the people of Nineveh. Jesus is everybody, right. even today. And so Jesus stretches internationally. Jesus stretches through all time. Jesus touches all people. And, of course, the greatest aspect of their difference is what Jonah did and what Jesus did. G- Jonah changed his city for a, a little while. But it wouldn't take very long, and Nineveh would go backwards again and become very evil and very wicked. Jesus can change our eternity forever, and that's that's a great difference in all that. Jonah in July. It has been a good stretch of four Fridays here in the heart of summer. Roger, I really appreciate you joining me today in the last month and just walking through this powerful Old Testament book. As you mentioned, so many practical lessons. We we need the Gospels. We need the New Testament, but there is also so much that we can learn from the Old Testament. Lord willing, next Friday, first Friday in August, we'll have a brand new series for that new month. But in the meantime, thank you to all of you for listening to the Heaven Bound podcast. We hope our conversation has helped you set your mind on things above and given you a little more fuel for the journey. Always remember, when you're walking with Jesus, you're heaven bound and the best is yet to come.